Hello, fellow writers! You have found Catherine's Corner of the Scriptarian Society, where we discuss specific books from the writer's perspective. Here with me, Carissa, aka Lewis, aka Catherine, we discuss the writer's side of reading to analyze some of the specifics that makes a book work or not work on a literary level. Today, there will be light spoilers for the book in the title, so if that bothers you, go read the book first and then come on back. If it doesn't, then you are in the right place. Whether you're a writer here for advice or a reader here for more content on a book you loved, welcome. Today, we're going to be talking about Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. If you don't know much about this book already, it is a contemporary YA novel written in verse, thematically about the cycle of violence that permeates poor, insulated Black communities in America. First, let's talk about what I mean by contemporary YA, because I've heard this genre contemporary thrown around in different ways lately, so I just want to clarify that, to me, contemporary refers to a story taking place in the modern-day real world. The key is real world. (laughs) I don't consider contemporary just something that takes place in modern day. I think contemporary has to be written by someone currently living in that particular climate, i.e. the author must be a contemporary of that setting. This doesn't mean that someone from New York can't write about Nebraska or vice versa, but fundamentally, a contemporary book has to hold a setting and a conflict that is super accessible in real life, in real time, to the author. I.e. I don't consider contemporary fantasy a thing, because fantasy isn't real, and so no one can be its contemporary. What people usually refer to as contemporary fantasy, I call urban fantasy or low fantasy. This is really its own discussion, but I just want to clarify what I mean by contemporary, because this book is a YA contemporary with a mystical element. This does not mean it is fantasy. The concept of this book is about this boy named Will setting out to kill the gangster that recently killed his big brother. He talks about how in his community, if someone you love is killed, you kill their murderer with the expectation that a loved one of that person's will eventually kill you too, and on and on. Will is ready to be part of that cycle to get revenge for his brother, despite what it's going to do to his mother, despite what it's going to do to his future. So he gets in the elevator with a gun, ready to leave his apartment complex and kill the guy. But on the way down, the elevator stops at each floor and lets on a person, a ghost to be precise, from his life who was killed in this cyclical violence in his community. Essentially, they are all trying in their own ways to get him to consider the choice he's about to make. Because they're ghosts, there does appear to be a certain fantasy element, except that the book never makes it clear if he's hallucinating them or truly seeing them or just processing his thoughts in an allegorical way, which I love and why I don't think this is categorized at all as fantasy, which is why I feel I can call it a contemporary book. This book explores not only the causes and effects of violence in Black communities, but also how those living in the communities themselves are the ones with the power to stop it, to make different choices, and choose to end that cycle. I loved this book. It's a quick read, given it's in verse rather than prose, and I would highly recommend it to anyone, whatever your political affiliation, whatever your race. I think this book does a wonderful job of being fair and promoting empathy while also asking all types of people to take responsibility. So let's get into why I think it is so effective. I'm really finding that the more books I read directly about hard-hitting issues, and that's not a lot because I'm a fantasy fan here, the more I think writing in verse may be the best way to do this. The Ellen Hopkins books I've read really stick with me, and Long Way Down is something I think about 
on a, on a pretty regular basis. That's not true of most other hard-hitting issue books I've read, and it's not that those aren't good and productive in their own way, it's that the style of poetry is one that just tends to be more memorable. In our main episodes, Ash and I just did a three-episode long series on literary devices and how best to use them to hone your writing style. I recommend you give those a listen if you haven't already, but the takeaway here is that novels and verse have so much less space to work with that every word has to count. It's more expected to be more figurative in your language choices and risky with your wordplay. This means that poetry and verse, by nature, use percentage-wise more literary devices per page than prose will. Novels and verse use significantly more paradoxes and metaphors and innuendo and double entendres and anapodaton and parallelism and even rhyme, and it works within that style because it's the expectation of that style. With all these devices being used, the specific comparisons and analogies and themes are more readily summed up and therefore remembered in the mind of the reader. It is also true that using more literary devices like these and rhetorical questions and trailing off and other styles in verse tend to prompt more thought on the part of the reader. Now, if you're writing in prose, like most writers, it is still important that you are doing this too. Reading should change people, make them think, and so writing in prose carries the same responsibility to evoke a reaction, an emotion, a thought process, but... Novels in verse tend to be this happy medium between lengthy enough to connect to on a strong emotional level, we have time with Will here for instance, we get to know him and his motives, and pithy enough to keep us thinking long afterward. Certain lines will resonate with you reading a book like this, certain turns of phrase that place a common understanding in a new light. Sometimes tragedies, like violence in Black communities, can become such a norm that people not in the middle of it, and even sometimes those who are in the middle of it, cease to strive to find a solution. It becomes acceptable because it's familiar. But turns of phrase and figurative language in verse can make the familiar new again and different. That's the whole point of many literary devices. And therefore strike at our conscience and our desire for action in a way the norm never has. Again, prose does this very often as well, but prose tends to do so with the story. Novels in verse tend to do this with the specific ways of phrasing things. The wording is the point in verse and the story is the backup to that point, while prose is typically focused on the story and any quotes or language or turns of phrase are simply backing up that story. That's why books in verse can home in on something really small and go on about it or make sweeping statements, whereas prose needs to keep generally consistent pacing. This is all very general. There are always exceptions, of course, but your focus has to shift if you're doing prose versus poetry. All of this is to say writing a book in verse has got to be much harder than writing one in prose. It's not something I ever planned to do or much desire to do at all because Every single word must be exact, and you have to have a good sense of rhythm. I would wager this is why there aren't many books like this out there yet, because they have to be done so well to be convincing. In my Paradise Lost Catherine's Corner episode a couple weeks back, I went into a little detail about why I think novels in verse are becoming more common, and I think they will continue to be popular. So if you are one of those writers out there that does want to sort of try this, I highly recommend you start now because it will take time to hone this particular writing skill. I don't think it's the same skill as prose writing. We often study poetry and prose together, but they are completely different beasts. Being good at one does not mean you will be good at the other. And I do think it also takes the right kind of story to demand such a style. 
I think the best context in which to write a story in verse nowadays is with a hard-hitting issue like gang violence or drug use or sexual abuse or something along those lines. Why? Because using that figurative language of poetry makes those tough concepts easier to grasp and easier to swallow. They are tough things that most people can't handle facing head-on. So wrapping up the topic in metaphors and paradoxes and euphemism, as well as story, can make easing into the difficult bits less of a challenge. Let's look at some quotes to emphasize what I'm saying. When talking about his grief at his brother's death, Will describes it this way. But if blood inside you is on the inside of someone else, you never want to see it on the outside of them. This works with the literal concept of blood to describe family members and death. It's a, it's a certain type of parallelism with the repetition of inside and its opposite of outside used together. Then there's this one. Another thing about the rules. They weren't meant to be broken. They were meant for the broken to follow. This is a chiasmus, I believe, with that structure flipped to create new meaning. Might be a polyptoden, yeah, since the two versions of broken are used as different parts of speech. But it's wordplay, one way or the other. Whatever it is specifically, it's definitely wordplay. Um, Will says this when he's acknowledging that murder is probably not the best way to grieve, but he doesn't know what else to do. That's how people are trained to react where he grew up. Those are the rules of his community. Um, here's a simile about how death and the cycle of this community feels to him. I swear sometimes, it feels like God be flashing photos of his children, awkward, amazing, tucked in his wallet for the world to see. But the world don't want to see no kids, and God ain't no pushy parent, so he just folds and snaps us shut. Reynolds also uses a lot of all caps to indicate emphasis and changes in thought. That's an on-the-page style that's often forgotten about, that poetry can take a physical form on the page for effect, too. And Will talks a lot in anagrams and actively acknowledges it. Um, here's a quote. Anagram is when you take a word and rearrange the letters to make another word. And sometimes the words are still somehow connected. Example, canoe equals ocean. Same letters, different words, somehow still make sense together, like brothers. So he's connecting everything back to his grief. He, he's talking figuratively and deeply. And there's plenty more of this wordplay, and it all builds up Will's personality and thought processes. These devices describe his emotions on a deeper level and his logic on a level we as readers can understand, even though we want him to change this pattern and not get himself killed avenging his brother. These devices would feel maybe a little awkward in prose, maybe even pretentious, but in verse, they instead ring true, especially because of the rhythmic pauses. There's not a lot of rhyme here. It's mostly rhythm. And with this rhythm, this emotional effect is achieved, and that's exactly what literary devices are meant to contribute to. The best advice I can give you for writing novels in verse is this. Have a really concrete knowledge of literary devices and practice them. Write down any little idea you have before it slips away and see how far it can get you. Expand on metaphors until they take pages to explain. Experiment with rhymes and alliteration and other devices that make lines memorable and impactful. Work with homophones and homonyms and all the wordplay. Novels and verse will still have elements like plot and characterization, but the focus is far more on the literary devices you're going to use, or at least that's going to be the difficult part of writing a novel in verse. So lean into that skill, practice that skill, and I think you can certainly get good at it. 
you're going to have to murder a lot of darlings because poetry is so much more hit or miss than prose, but that might just be the whole strength here. I wouldn't even say that clarity is particularly important with poetry. Rhythm and language and effect are. So don't feel like you have to explain everything. Don't be confusing or contradictory, but give your readers even more rhetorical questions and open-ended statements. Trail off every once in a while or end chapters more abruptly so readers can fill in the gaps and think about the ramifications themselves. Also, make sure the story you're telling is specific enough to make sense of all the figurative language. Don't go too big with story here. Create a very specific situation on either a short timeline like this book does, or a focused character group, or something that helps us zero in on the specific to back up the very figurative that's happening in the forefront. As someone that doesn't write a lot of poetry, that's the kind of stuff I noticed about this book that worked, so at least give it a try. Another reason I loved this book is because it feels categorized with the one-on-ones Will has with most of the ghosts he meets on each floor. They each have their distinct moment and role in forcing Will to consider what he's about to do. As a reader, you're likely going to have a favorite, a ghost that sticks out to you the most. I personally liked best the girl from Will's childhood who was killed in a drive-by shooting. She is one of the most innocent victims we see in this elevator, and that makes her story even sadder than the others. But there's also the emotional pull when Will's father steps into the elevator. This is a man he feels abandoned him by taking vengeance upon himself and therefore ending up dead before Will was old enough to remember him. But Will is now also repeating his very actions and understands him on a level he never has before. He says, How do you small talk your father when dad is a language so foreign that whenever you try to say it, it feels like you got a third lip and a second tongue? Not only is this line an anthemeria by using small talk as a verb, but it also contributes to the real pathos element to this book. And that's given we spend a technically very short period of time with Will. Categorizing these people, giving them each their spotlight in the elevator, and putting them in an order that builds to Will's ultimate decision makes the story very easy to follow. And that's what I mean, I guess, by not making your inverse story too big. Make sure that there is a simple plot to follow so the reader's focus can be on how you're saying things instead of necessarily the the plot in which you are saying them. I wouldn't mess with subplots too much either. They certainly can work, but I think they're difficult to do in verse, and lacking them doesn't mean the story is going to be one-dimensional. Use the structure of the story to support any variety you want to include. This whole book, Long Way Down, is about a ghost getting on the elevator at each floor, and each ghost tells Will his or her own story. Some are longer-winded, others are bitter, some are more emotional, some are more desperate for him to halt the cycle of violence, but they are characterized. They have personalities and motives and dreams and regrets, which makes them feel very real and separate from Will. But their stories are still functioning within the structure of the main plot. Simple story, simple plot does not mean boring. It just means leaning into a single focus and a clear plot thread as opposed to deviating into subplots or complex twists. Inverse stories just don't have the room for subplots, but that's not really a weakness. That's one of the strengths. All of this also means we don't merely stick with Will. Will is interacting with the other characters who therefore get a chance to reveal their own stories. Really, Will is a great character for this concept because he started out as a bit of a blank slate, someone we can all relate to, and then gradually revealed himself. 
he doesn't have enough time to really grow over the story. It takes place over the course of a single elevator ride, but he reveals himself to us over the course of the book, so it feels like growth. Which, if you're writing a novel, even in prose, that occurs on this type of timeline, it is a great strategy. Pick a main character to narrate that can reveal himself over the story, even if he's not going to change very much, because we as the readers need to perceive change in order to stay interested. Change in perception is still change, so your main character doesn't actually have to grow in the strictest sense of the word. We don't have to be with them long enough for their nails to grow out or their hair to get long. We just need to see how a decision or a perspective, even if it's ours, has changed since the beginning of the story. Exploring Will as he's getting ready to make a big decision through these conversations with other characters who come in and out makes all of them, including Will, feel real and relatable, even if they're not likable or just like us. So again, I loved the topics and themes of this book because of how they were handled. I don't read a lot of contemporary books because, like I've said, I'm a primarily speculative fiction reader, and that's mostly because of where the themes tend to focus. Speculative fiction is, by nature, less relatable in terms of setting or specifics, and therefore it deals with a lot of universals. So I'm also admittedly not a big fan of contemporaries in general because a lot of books dealing with issues like this tend to, I think, get too specific. They zero in too much on a single perspective. And I know, I just finished telling you that a story in verse should be specific, but I mean in story, not in theme. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a specific theme. I'm just telling you it's not something I like as much because I think going too specific can alienate part of your readership and make the book inaccessible. One of the great things about Long Way Down was that though all the characters, I, I think all the characters are black, they all had different perspectives. There was variety and there was common ground at the same time, which is something that some contemporary books miss. And maybe that's your goal as an author, to get zoomed in. That's fine. But that is going to make it harder to reach people who differ from you. Here's the thing. You as a person shouldn't need to be able to relate to someone to treat them like a human being. That is absolutely true. But when it comes to engaging someone in a story, they are going to have to feel at least somewhat personally connected. Character and stakes are going to play a certain role in that, of course, but so will theme. When you give variety in terms of perspective, you allow the reader to consider who they think is right, even if no one is their carbon copy. Books like Long Way Down have what I like to call a universal theme, something accessible across time, across cultures, and across perspectives. That's because the concepts of revenge killing for your loved ones and cyclical violence are part of human nature as opposed to the nature of Black communities. It's taking a particular form right now in Black communities, but it would be insulting to say that this is a Black problem. It's not. It's a human problem currently cropping up in a certain place in a certain way. This book does take place in a Black community. It is clearly striving to bring light to that very particular issue but it does so with a universal. It does so with something we can all understand. The grief Will feels at his brother's death, the anger he feels toward the people who started the cycle, even the emotions of those trying to stop him or encourage him on the basis of their morality or duty. Reynolds takes this universal to show you an application of his point with Will's story. His purpose is to show you this particular context, but he does so by first acknowledging something we can all relate to. When you go with a universal theme like this and then apply it to a specific, basically everyone is going to be able to understand and care. 
The opposite, when you take a specific theme and try to expand it outward, can't always work because sometimes issues are just specific to a time and place. Don't create non-sequitur logic problems in your themes. Uh, there is a third option where you take a specific situation and generate themes particular to it, and that one is great. It's not my thing, but it can totally work. What you want to strive not to do is to assume that because something is true in one place, it is true everywhere. But you can say that something that is true everywhere is true too in this unique place. And here are some ways it happens to be presenting. The problems facing American Black communities are not common to all Black people throughout all of time or even in modern day, but the desire to avenge family members is common everywhere. That's understandable for everyone. Even if no one you love has ever died, you can understand that drive. So I like that the book acknowledged a universal, even though it was using it to make a specific point. I think that's how you'll reach people that aren't themselves in the situation you're trying to talk about, because it helps them recognize the human nature of the issue, as opposed to the blackness of the issue, or the maleness of the issue, or the addict of the issue. You can explore all those and still make them accessible by simply framing them as human rather than only present in one place. It's going to depend on what you're trying to do with your story. There's nothing wrong with writing a book for a very particular group of people facing a very particular problem. But if you're trying to reach many kinds of people, if you're trying to reach people within and without that group, universality is typically the way to go. In closing, I loved the ending of this book too. It's one of the few books I've actually had a really good discussion with other people about afterward. When I was working at a school library, I talked to two of the other staff members about what we thought the true ending was, and we all have really different opinions. Was Will hallucinating? Were the ghosts real? Were they an allegorical product of his thoughts along the ride? Was he dreaming? It's really awesome to be able to talk about a book afterward, and honestly, the ending is probably going to make or break whether or not that can happen. Open-ended endings give people food for thought, food for debate. That's what causes conversations. Particularly in a standalone, when we haven't spent as much time with a character, this can be a fantastic way to allow the reader to actually feel connected to them by prompting them to imagine more about where they go from here. Not every book is going to require or be good with an open ending, but it is a strategy I think authors sometimes shy away from and can't handle because it gives up a lot of control to the reader. I get that, trust me, but it is one of the best ways to prompt thought. So again, think about what you're trying to do and make sure your ending is going to match that intent. We don't actually know what Will chooses to do at the end of the elevator ride. We can assume, we can ponder, we can hope, we aren't told. I love that. Character-driven books like this are generally going to be more suited to open endings than plot-driven books because plot doesn't really go on in the same way that people do, but that doesn't mean that all character-driven novels need an open ending. It's just something to consider. So that being said, if you haven't read this book, I would encourage you to go read it, but that is all I have to say. So thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the next page. Yeah.